the end of authenticity? And will Amazon finally make TVs smart and friendly? This is episode 82 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom, we have two topics today. Uh, one is dense and difficult to understand, and the other is less dense and still difficult to understand. <laughs> uh, away we go. <laughs> Here we go. So beginning with the first one, the end of authenticity. This is from a piece in um, Medium. Um, I, I don't understand Medium. Medium, everyone writes for Medium, and I, I just don't understand Medium. I, I, don't, I, I have to begin there. I don't understand me. I get what Medium's trying to do. I don't know why so many people are writing for it, though. It started out because it was some kind of elegant platform for, for the design of the text. And, but I don't know what... No, you're right. I, I have no idea. Yeah. The age of post-authenticity and the ironic truths of meme culture. <laughs> <laughs> That's the actual... <laughs> it's amazing I read past that. Um, but it doesn't get any easier, does it? <laughs> well, it's like this: the, the 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 theme of this is really about you know kind of the crisis in authenticity because there's this wish for authenticity. We're always talking about authenticity. How much marketing wisdom have we all heard, read, seen, and and understood that says you got to begin by being authentic? Or millennials really respond to authenticity? Oh, or post millennials are all about authenticity? And come to find out that. Um, the Nobody very essence the of <laughs> the very essence of authenticity is inauthentic. I know. So, um, the article begins with uh, a number of points. Number one, media isn't really real. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think that goes without saying. The work of making real news, fact checking, triangulating processes by which news organizations ensure their coverage is accurate and uphold professional principles of integrity. Journalists talk about it continually on Twitter. Yet, is the message getting through? Well, public trust is and isn't holding up, it goes on to say. The reputational impact of uh, the fake news issue has been predominantly borne by digital and social media channels. 58% now trust social media coverage of politics and elections less. Less than what? I'm not, not sure. 41% trust online-only news sources less. Again, less than what? I don't know. Traditional television and print news media channels have held up comparatively well. Here's the thing I don't understand. You know, what, is, what do we even mean by trust? Why is it important to trust something? And why is that the metric that we're evaluating authenticity by here? Well, look, I don't you know want to I mean? get too deep, but what the hell is real? When, when he says media <laughs> isn't real, is plastic real? I, I mean, what's, what's real? It depends. So <laughs> they said that fakery is growing. Okay. Listen, anytime you see something growing, that mm -hmm. simply means it pays. Based on how everything is being measured and monetized by everyone in the ecosystem, if something is growing, it pays. It's mm -hmm. working. That's why if you see direct mail coming to your house still, that means somebody is paying, it's paying off somehow. Right. It right. stops coming otherwise. Now, <clears throat> I like... What of the work of making real news, like you said, fact-checking, mm -hmm. triangulating processes? That's a good word. Mm -hmm. Who has yeah. the time? I got to tell you, Mark, I, I just have to tell you this because to me it was funny. It probably nobody else saw it in the world but me and you and some people listen to our podcast. 
The other day I'm watching Good Morning America. Michael Strahan is interviewing the hero of the Waffle House shooting, that guy James Shaw Jr. Okay. Now okay. this is like the morning after the incident or something, right? The next day or something. So I'm watching Strahan's eyes because he's what he's saying to the world is, I got a hero here, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm listening to the story. And this guy, James Shaw, he's telling his story about being out at a nightclub with a friend, going to the Waffle House at 3.30 in the morning, mm -hmm. watching the cook stack clean dishes a little bit too high, wondering when they're going to fall over, hearing a bang, thinking a dish fell. Then when he saw what was happening with the shooter, he ran into the bathroom hallway and hid behind a door. He said he felt like a fish in a barrel. He just wanted to get out of there. So when he saw the gunman lower the gun to reload, he ran full speed at this guy. The gun fell. He threw the gun over the counter. He wrestled the guy outside in order to, quote, run away and get to freedom. So basically, this guy that they're bringing on to try to show heroism <laughs> said he wasn't trying to save anyone but himself. And, and, but see, that's authenticity. That's postmodern heroism but right there. But they didn't want it. But you see, Strahan was going, oh, shit. In the rush to report the news, you get uh -huh. authenticity. Now, maybe this is a good thing. I'm thinking we should exhaust the hell out of people before we interview them so that their brain's executive function is diminished, and then mm -hmm. the truth will come out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it oh, would, so it just struck me. Do you know? It was just so real but it didn't fit the unreal broadcast it was yeah. strange no i mean it it goes back to the old uh the, remember the old john ford movie um um with jimmy stewart and john wayne and the theme was you know if the facts don't line up with the legend print the legend that's right? exactly right <laughs> exactly right it was we saw real time what you knew the next guy that interviewed this guy is going to talk to him. No, no, no. Don't say that you were just trying to get away. <laughs> no, it's, it, that's so, that's so uh, uh, perceptive, Tom, because, you know, if you go back to that, that old movie, which is what, like 40 years old, 50 years yeah. old now, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance is the movie. Yep. And I remember when, when they, the, the newspaper guys said, hey, we got to print the legend. And Jimmy Stewart, <laughs> I mean, the story is that Jimmy Stewart is thought to kill the bad guy. I think it was Lee, Lee Marvin. Uh, but John Wayne is actually the guy who shot the bad guy. Right. But Jimmy Stewart is celebrated for shooting the bad guy all this time. And he has, goes on to this great career for shooting the bad guy. And then come to find out, he realizes he didn't shoot the bad guy. He tries to tell the newspaper guy, I didn't shoot the bad guy. Newspaper guy says, hey, the story is better with you shooting the bad guy. I'm going to print the legend. Yep. And, and, and Jimmy Stewart is feeling like, bad because he is party to this all of that bad feeling has disappeared <laughs> right it's all disappeared and you know what that's you pointing out that movie is a perfect example of the of fiction being more truthful than the facts <laughs> that's right print the legend print the legend i love that it's it, it's it's so true and this is such a complicated area but it occurs to me that you know, obviously the people who are journalists are most worried about this because they're in the business of trying to shape facts in a way that resembles truth, even though you and I both know that even in the shaping of truth, I mean, there is not a uniform, definable um, um, There's truth, not an objective right? reality, of course There's not. There's not an objective truth. 
even as they uh, go out of their way to shape it. Then this article goes on and talks about how technology is making it even more difficult because now through technology you can falsify people's voices, you can fake video, you can put, you know, fake pictures on porn, pictures of, of... of, on porn videos. Um, you know, I'm reminded in the Star Wars movie where they brought back Peter Cushing <laughs> yep, from the right. dead, I might add, yep. to be a character in the new Star Wars movie. And supposedly his, you know, assistant who was still living uh, was really touched by that. Although I can't help but think that maybe that's not the whole story. <laughs> so the article goes on to say this isn't particularly new and and uses the example of the the little girls in uh, England uh, in 1917 who took photos of fairies and everyone was convinced that the fairies were real because, you know, how could they not be real? Although maybe they are real. <laughs> no, no, wait a minute. That that was a very, that was probably, and he, he fluffed over it, but he should have made the point that intelligence doesn't make someone immune to bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Because... When he cited that, that Cottingly England, where they cut out these little fairies and they took pictures, you know who fell for that? Like hook, line, and sinker. Well, Arthur Conan Doyle yeah. did, but, but he fell for everything. No, nah, but this guy was a physician. He's the guy who created the most logical, rational person in literature, no, Sherlock Holmes. he fell for everything. Oh, you got to look into him more, in more detail. Look, I fell look for I'm everything. telling you, if, if people want... But it supports your point. If right. you want to believe, you're going to believe. No, if you want to believe something, fakery is going to help you do it. So if you don't want to be deceived, don't desire to believe anything. I know that's a tough one to wrap your head around, but I'm, I'm being quite sincere here. So the article goes on to say that people, you know, they said, look, why are people sharing all these fake news things to the degree that they're fake? Is it because that they believe them? No, not necessarily. It's because they want to prove a point. Right. Here's something that's nasty about Hillary. Is it true? Is it not true? It doesn't matter. I hate Hillary. I'm going to share it. Right. Yeah. So in other words, it's just everyone's kind of doing this like everyone's on the debate stage. And they're just using arguments for which they don't necessarily need supporting data because they're just trying to put forth their proposition. And then it goes into my favorite part. You know this is my favorite <laughs> I know, part. Which I is, know it was coming. Here it comes. Rewind to 2010. It was at this time as smartphones and digital media took over our lives that the dominant aesthetic of middle-class consumption, fashion, interior, decor, and lifestyle went the other way. Rough-hewn and wholesome. Authentic. Do you remember the beards, the flannel, the workwear, the artisan, everything, Tom? Artisan, artisan. I knew that was There it is. Coffee, bread, burgers, ostentatious, unpretentious. I love that term. Ostentatious (laughs) unpretentiousness abounded. Cocktails in mason jars, wine in tumblers. We're all going back to the the plane, Tom. (laughs) Where everybody rigid. was sick and had dysentery. And, yeah, yes, we're all rigid. <laughs> you know, my wife and I, by the way, as an aside, my wife and I are watching The Terror on uh, AMC. It's the it's the uh, series about the, uh, the two um, ships, uh, naval vessels from England a hundred years ago that were off in the Arctic and were lost and got stuck in the ice. And, you know, one of them has like a, uh, there's a Newfoundland, a dog on, on one. And the dog is just pooping and peeing all over the place. My wife said, well, it's on, it's on the ocean. What's it going to do? Where's it going to do its business? But right there. And I said, I don't think they cared. I think they're stepping over it all the time. I mean, that's the least of what's on the deck of these ships. 
Exactly. That's authentic, is, is my point. I know. So but they're not going to show it because we don't want it. <laughs> it's marked by an easily recognizable mix of symbols like reclaimed wood, Edison bulbs, and refurbished industrial lighting that's meant to provide a familiar, comforting surroundings for a wealthy, mobile elite who want to feel like they're visiting somewhere authentic while they travel, but who actually just crave more of the same, more rustic interiors and sans-serif logos and splashes of cliché accent colors on rugs and walls. I mean, it is so too. Everything that's authentic is authentic in exactly the same well, kind of mythical, look, archety archetypical way. Look, you know that when, you, when people start buying these virtual reality glasses in, en masse, that you're going to have these glasses that have authentic wood, the, the wood glasses. You can get them for, you know, an extra couple hundred bucks. Somebody's going to carve authentic virtual reality glasses. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. This article didn't even get into virtual reality. I mean, you can assume that once virtual reality hits, you could say goodbye to authenticity of any sort. Yeah, right? I, mean, I mean, look, I see, this is what I don't think people understand is... They think they know the difference between reality and something that's not reality. Yet, you watch people watching a movie, and they will cry when one of those toys in Toy Story has a problem. You know, right. And you look at people and you say, don't you see that you're crying because the slinky dog misses this? And, and they, they don't get By the way, I, I love the way you put that, because one of the toys in Toy Story has a problem. <laughs> That's it. I can see the pitch meeting now, you know. <laughs> Give them a problem. <laughs> What's our inciting incident? The, to the slinky has a problem. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone will cry over that. All right, put it in there. No, so I, I think also related to that, it's like, this is why it's so funny watching CNN at night when Anderson Cooper gets on and says, well, today the president said something wacky, and here are five reasons why what he said is false. And he's like, yep, there you go. We'll stick it to the man. And I'm thinking, <laughs> no one cares about your five reasons. <laughs> Look, Mark, all of this, like he concluded with, you know, I, I like the statement because it's it it made sense, but I don't think he realizes the depth of the tension that we're dealing with. He said social and media technologies optimize for the diffusion of highly emotive reaction generating content, encourage a rapid trade and attention grabbing ideas over slower burning, systematic contextualized thinking. I swear to oh, God, man. for a minute, I'm thinking I'm wow. reading Heidegger again, and how am I going to get through all of this, right? <laughs> but, but what I think that people are missing is the severity of the problem or the irony of the problem. And, and this is the thing we have to wrap our heads around, because I wrote about this a while ago about the fact that this collective illusion that all of this stuff we're looking at called life that we see in the morning when we get up is falling apart because of how hyper-connected everything is and all the information mm -hmm. flowing in and mm -hmm. you can't make sense of it, so you can't really have a coherent you know, story in your own head of who you are and how everything's going to work out. Mm -hmm. So you can either, and this is happening, you can either get confused, anxious, depressed, and then, you know, and, and all the fallout that comes from that, intolerance, substance abuse, addictive technologies, you name it. Or you can look at it as ironic. 
you can see the humor in the fact that we never really had control over anything in the first place. Mm -hmm. It was a big illusion, and that illusion is shattering, so let's just dance and be happy and listen to media unplug and have another glass of wine. Well, that and that's a good way to wrap it up because I do think that's really the lesson of this piece is that everything you're pining away for and whining for, everything you're objecting to, everything that you're, you're grappling to understand, every time you, you, you come up with, here are the 10 ways in which the comment from the White House is false. <laughs> that's right. All of that is you're, you're laying an illusion upon illusion, and at the end of the day, people are um, busy being entertained by the whole thing. That's and right. the reason why you, CNN, you, Fox, you, the rest of them, have higher ratings at this time is because of the, in, of the heightened entertainment quotient of the content on those platforms. Exactly. <laughs> and, and don't you think it's really interesting that the people who are creating this stuff are the most stressed out of all of us? <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Masecker and Mark Ramsey. Will Amazon finally make TV smart and friendly? Now, this is an article from a thoughtful man, Jean-Louis Gasset. We know him, yeah. uh, late of Apple, uh, Apple V1. Um, smart TV made real by Amazon. And, uh, I mean, look, smart TVs themselves are not new. I think what he is, uh, what he is uh, remarking about is the recent announcement from Amazon, not only that they have 100 million Prime uh, subscribers. Yeah, that's, I see, that's, that's the worldwide. That's right. But that um, they announced a partnership with Best Buy to sell Fire TV sets that will feature fully integrated Alexa and Prime software. The product line will include at least 10 models by the end of 2018 with a Toshiba set sometime this summer. So his, I mean, remember that there was this thing, and he addresses this in the, in the piece, called showrooming. Right. Which is the idea whereby you walk into a Best Buy... You say, oh, okay, that uh, looks like a great uh, television. Uh, let me look it up on Amazon and buy it for $30 cheaper. Uh, so that Best Buy becomes the way for you to, uh, to, to touch and feel and sample and um, uh, test drive every new piece of gadgetry you buy yeah, from someplace basically else. Basically to eliminate your fears before you click buy. <laughs> That's right. The one thing that Amazon can't do, which is allow you to test drive this stuff, right. uh, you can do it Best Buy. And, uh, you know, and, and Amazon has not exactly discouraged that. Um, so, and, and certainly Best Buy is aware of this, but I think fundamentally Best Buy can't do anything about that, no, they right? Can't stop Best them. Buy has to answer the question, how are we supposed to compete in an environment where Amazon exists? How are we supposed to compete in an environment where Circuit City does not, where Sears barely does? Where all these other you know uh, businesses are 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 uh, uh, closing their doors. Mark, they're looking so, at it as is Amazon, who's a beast with a hundred million Prime members, are going to drive foot traffic into the store, right? Well, this is my question to you, Tom. How will that work? Explain to me how they're going to drive their hundred million Prime members into uh, Best Buy. Well, I'm sure that there's some kind of deal, and I don't know how long the deal lasts. But you cannot go on Amazon and buy this Prime TV, the Fire TV. It's not going to work like that. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to go into the store and buy it from Best Buy. Now, my guess is, <laughs> this I'm guessing again. My guess is they're going to make this TV a no-brainer because you know Amazon. 
they don't care, man. They will use a TV as a loss leader to sign up even more Prime members. We, sure. we know what their game is. Sure. So if you see this gigantic TV and it comes into your email from Amazon and it says, I don't know, are you in the market for a new TV? We just released the fully integrated Alexa and Prime Fire TV. It's mm -hmm. available at Best Buy. By the way, Tom, we know your zip code. Your Best Buy has the models. Here they are. Take a ride mm -hmm. in. And... Where comparable TVs sell for $699 because you're a Prime member, it's $199. And you're going mm -hmm. you know, to look around in your room to see if anybody's looking at you, and you're going to say, I'm going to go down and look at one of these things. And for every TV purchase from Best Buy, Amazon cuts a check of you know, $100 to Best Buy. Yeah, because they don't care. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, and I think it's worth noting, this is not the way Apple works, right? No. For Apple... The hardware is everything. Right. For Amazon, the hardware is nothing. That's right. <laughs> See, listen, and this is, I, I'm being serious. I thought about this. I believe every single organization, I mean every, every single organization, nonprofit, for-profit, large, small, medium, it doesn't matter, B2B, B2C, I think they should have a research genius on a staff. Just go out, find one. And this person does nothing but map and study the moves of Amazon. Look for the mm -hmm. insights and then present those learnings weekly to the executive team so that they don't miss what the hell is happening here. Because mm -hmm. I'm telling you, Amazon is eating the world. And mm -hmm. people don't see it happening. I think they're beginning to. If you look at their stock price, which reached a new high today, I suspect they are beginning to. But I get your larger point. And this is a good example of exactly what does this mean. Okay, so let's go with your, your, your proposition that um, Loss it's a cheap TV. It's a, it's a brilliant – first of all, it's got to be a dramatically better solution, right? Mm -hmm. Because – I, why am I? Why? Because if my option is I can go into uh, Best Buy for the cheap, uh, great TV, or I can go to Amazon and buy a different TV on Amazon. Don't right. forget, right? right? So that is still an option for me. So you still got to get me into the store. The TV still needs to be something dramatically better. Right. And you know, it's there's only at best there's going to be a window, right? Best Buy's not going to make a TV available to, or uh, Amazon's not going to allow. Uh, Best Buy to do uh, a, a TV forever no. that will never be available on Amazon, nope. right? I, nope. By the way, as an aside, and I can't tell too much detail of this story, but in terms of partnering with Amazon and Amazon's kind of predatory approach to its partners, I know of a company that did a project with Audible to create a premium, you know, you purchase it, audio experience for Audible. And the deal was that since this is going to be for sale, Audible owned by Amazon, uh, sale on Audible, that a portion of each uh, sale would go to these people who own the intellectual property. Right. So it was a great deal. It worked out great, or it should have worked out great. There was just one problem. Um, Amazon slash Audible gave it away for free yeah. <laughs> for the first six weeks. So I asked this guy, so what? how many of the sales, how many of the downloads <laughs> happened in the first six weeks? He said... Most of them. All of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he got what percentage of zero? So they got uh, they got their fair percentage of zero right. is what they got. 
and uh, Amazon gets the thing. And you know, in order to download the thing, you have to be you have to become an Audible member, right? So you've got to join Audible in order to. So again, all the advantage uh, uh, flows to Amazon slash Audible. None of the advantage flew uh, flew flows to the uh, uh, partner who had the IP. Look, you this have is to be, what you have to be really strategic with these guys, right? I mean, I, I remember Walmart. I don't remember what, like what kind of volume they drove for those giant jars of pickles. You know those like giant dill pickle jars that I well I, I don't know if you've seen them. I, but in I don't know if I like, do. Yeah, it, it, it was like four bucks for, for like more pickles than you can ever eat, right? So they okay. they were selling so many pickles that they almost drove this, the the manufacturer out of business because they were losing money trying to satisfy the demand on what these a great pickles. story. Yeah, so you've got to you've got to try to figure out. Okay, what's in it for us? If this foot traffic does drive to our stores, how do we figure out how to get some value long term out of the relationship of these people walking in our stores, so that it just—it's not a quick hit and all done, and we don't make any money or. But it was listen, it's genius because Mark, what prevents people? Listen, I know I feel it, so I know others do. What prevents people from buying? A dishwasher, a TV, an air conditioner, all that stuff from Amazon. Two mm -hmm. things. I want to see this thing. Mm -hmm. And what happens if something goes wrong with it? I don't want to be boxing up a refrigerator, sending it back to Am you know, to Amazon. Mm -hmm. So I if I go to Best Buy, I buy a TV, I bring it home, it doesn't work. I take it to Best Buy, so I want my money back. Mm -hmm. All that risk goes away. Well, one thing's for sure, um, and Whole Foods proves this, Amazon benefits from having places in the real world, right? Oh, big they're, time. They're, they're little bookstores book that they have. I can't remember what they're called, the yep. little Amazon Absolutely. stores that are here and there. There's one here in San Diego. I haven't been to it yet. But uh, they benefit from, from that. They benefit from uh, the markets that we talked about in a previous episode. Um, that uh, are kind of uh, uh, equipped with uh, the latest technology. Exactly. They benefit from existing in the real world. If they can do a deal with Best Buy that's good for Best Buy over the long haul, uh, it will certainly be good for Amazon over the long haul. I just question how good it's going to end up being uh, in the long run for Best Buy, considering that Amazon specializes in what uh, Gasset called from the book The Everything Store, the gazelle maneuver, which is supposedly something uttered by Jeff Bezos, by which he said, we're going to behave like the cheetah uh, stalking the sickly gazelle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't think there's much question who the gazelle is in the case of the Best Buy Amazon relationship. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. But, but the whole idea of Amazon going back to retail is what I mean by someone needs to study what they're doing. Because mm -hmm. believe me, they are mapping this stuff out precisely. They're doing little experiments. Mm -hmm. If they work, then they move quickly into that direction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, Tom, it's time for Rants and Raves. Rants and Raves. So listen, so I was going to, I don't know what this is. Maybe I think it's a rant. I was going to point out big news. Like I read that Ford, they're trying to cut an extra, I don't know, $11 billion in costs. Oh, this was one of the ones that I was picking, too. So, well, they're yeah, going to start making cars in the U.S. I mean, if that doesn't blow anyone's mind. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say stop or start? Stop. 
They're going to stop selling. Is that what selling. it said? I didn't They're see that. They're going to stop selling almost all of their sedans. Oh, in sedans, the yeah, yeah. Which yes. is cars. I mean, they're yes. going to basically sell SUVs, trucks, and commercial stuff, you know. And I said, ah, nobody cares about that. So I said, maybe I'll talk about, you know, the Cosby verdict. Because mm-hmm. I saw this brilliant headline in The Onion. Did you see it? No. It said, Bill Cosby feeling disoriented after jury slips conviction into his verdict. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought... Authentic. I said, I said <laughs> Mark will like that one. But then, but then I thought, okay... That's not what people want to know. They want to know, they want something useful. So I've got something, and this, this kind of harks back to Andy Warhol's 1960-something remark that in the future everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So the future's here. I read an article in the New York Times about the rise of what the author called micro-merch. Did you see this? Mm, no. Okay, so instead of going to see your favorite band and buying merchandise to support them, you know, T-shirts, posters, whatever, the social media age has made it so that, quote, no following is too small to monetize. Mm-hmm. Enter micro merch, namesake products made in batches of a couple dozen or even a couple thousand offered by, for sale by Instagram stars or not quite celebrities. And then I'm reading through this thing. And so here's some of the people selling this micro merch. So there's this Peloton. They're a home indoor cycling business. Mm-hmm. They sell small batches of merch inspired by each of its dozen instructors of how to ride these home and indoor cycling things. Some music producer, this Alex Toomey, he sold enough T-shirts featuring his social media famous French bulldog, Gordy, to pay for flights to the South by Southwest Music Festival. And this woman, Ashley Aya Canetti, I don't know her, a bachelorette contestant. She's like cries mm-hmm. her eyes out on this bachelorette. Mm-hmm. She now sells her own tissue box sleeves. And she says, being so known for crying, why don't I have a deal with Kleenex or Puffs? So welcome to the future, Mark. We're here. My question is, where's the link to our Media Unplug merch featuring? <laughs> no, because I know what it's featuring. A Madame Tussauds-inspired likeness of you and me printed on a T-shirt. <laughs> oh, that's so artisanal. Um, so I don't understand. So micro, why micro, though? If they're going to sell merch, why the micro? I, don't, I think the micro are the people selling the merch. <laughs> so in other words, you're saying if, I have a, if we have a, if we have a thousand listeners, let's say, right. um, then uh, there might be a market for a thousand, you know, Mark and Tom T-shirts. No, no, for fifty, <laughs> and then we take the money from the fifty, and we go to to uh, podcast world in in Philly or whatever that is called. Podcast movement. That's right. There you go. Yes, and you may be there, Tom. I may be there I, this year. That's this is so exciting. By the way, if Tom if Tom Asacker is going to be a if podcast movement, everyone needs to know. Office. <laughs> I know that would be great. So. Um, that's a good one. I'm going to have to look up micro merch and see what we can sell. Look it up. Um, I, I was thinking of a Tom and Mark bobblehead where only one of our heads bobble, and I'll, I'll let you guess which one. Oh, I already know. Go ahead. Dude. So, <laughs> so first of all, the, my first one, I had two, and they're, neither one is funny. They're both kind of uh, raves. First one was the Ford one, and I thought this was really fascinating I because it seemed to me what Ford is doing by, you know, essentially, as you say, getting out of the sedan business, which is kind of getting out of the car business, is they're acknowledging that the way we, the consumer, see the world of 
you know, four-wheeled transportation is not sedan-slash-car-based anymore. Exactly. We just don't see it that way. Um, and uh, they're just being, I mean, why should we make cars when people don't want cars? <laughs> and what was also interesting to me was I the idea that. of that's what... That's a great headline. <laughs> yeah, why should we make them? It, uh, exploring a new white space vehicle. I love that expression. It's so, <laughs> you know, strategic marketing ease. Exactly. A white space vehicle that would combine the best attributes of cars and utilities, such oh. as higher ride height, space, and versatility. I think that those kind of already exist, but those are most definitely not sedans. Right. Real interesting. So I thought that was uh, that was a, a uh, an example of a of a of a uh, kind of a a consumer marketer being kind of paying attention to its audience in the most direct way. And as you and I both know, we could go through a lot of examples where people pay no such attention to their audience oh, yeah. and then wonder what happened. No, listen, and it's a tremor. It's a tremor. This is Ford. This is where mm -hmm. it all yeah. started. Yes, that's true. That's a good point. That these are the people who invented the car now saying, well, wait, we don't maybe we make need cars. to reinvent it. We don't want to make cars. Right. Yeah. It's really, really important. And I think that has, for the, you know, in my space, the radio space, they should absolutely be asking themselves those kinds of questions exactly. right now. Um, the other one I had was uh, Sherwin-Williams taps augmented reality for customer paint selections. This is a really simple little thing. But you know, the idea here is that Sherwin-Williams has an app. You take, you know, video of your room. You pick the color you want. And the app paints the room the color that you pick so that you can visualize it using augmented reality and you can kind of see in the real world by looking at your phone whether your room is going to look nice in that color or not. I mean, this is just such a total no-brainer. Yep. You know, this, I mean, is a, is a very specific need. This, uh, when you're going to paint a room, the one thing you want most when you stand back and look at the little, you know, samples that you tape up or you get a sample and you tape, a you, you know, paint a little strip and look at it for a while, um, that doesn't do the job nearly the way this does. So this is just such a good example of, of kind of marshalling technology to solve a bona fide problem and a problem that real people have in the real world. And the technology is not a substitute for the product itself. It's a way to help you make better decisions about the product, and it will unquestionably lead more people to choose Sherwin-Williams over a competing brand because Sherwin-Williams Sherwin -Williams sees my problem in its, in its whole as opposed to my problem in its micro. Exactly. You know? My problem is not that I need to get some paint. What paint should I get? Help me get the paint that I want. The, my problem is that I need to have a room that looks better than it does now. Exactly. Right? Yep. Really interesting, I thought. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever the heck you're listening to this show. Yep. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. And you have to assume that's a good thing, Tom. And buy our merch. Buy our Madam Tussauds. And buy our, yeah. our micro merch, <laughs> which is little tiny, little tiny. My wife said something to me the other day. She, she, she was motioning about someone, you know, uh, uh, she said, here are the post-millennials at the dinner table. And she made this motion of someone kind of texting, except she didn't have a phone in her hand. And I said, are they making little tiny... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> are they making little tiny wardrobe? <laughs> she didn't find that funny. Um, 
you can also catch us at art19.com, Radio Inc., Media Village, Google Play Music, etc. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Catch up on older episodes, which are still worthwhile, at our, at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the amazing and extraordinarily busy producer of Media Unplugged, Mr. Jeff Schmidt. Thank exciting. You, Jeff. Exciting audio for media and exciting audio for exciting media. Hmm. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you for listening. Hey.